Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. ...of music and we're looking at pop truth. And um, we kind of set a bit of a background where we looked at the reality of the world in which we live that's becoming more and more uh, secular. Uh, and by secular, I mean it's becoming increasingly and intentionally um, a world where God is not uh, kind of acknowledged. Yeah. So there's almost secularism is this kind of rejection of God and almost a rejection of all religious considerations. Um, it's not possible to completely do that because the world is full of Christians and other religious people, but that is what secularism is and what its intention is. And so it kind of um, lives, I suppose, uh, with a little bit of tension with the reality that people, many, many people are religious. Many, many people are uh, Christian. And then we kind of talked about um, the world in which there is no God still requires things for us to worship. Worship is one of the most natural traits of humanity, that we look to something beyond ourselves or we look to something that we kind of idolise and we want to be like and all of that. And um, in the absence of God, we don't now look to like wooden poles or stuff, um, but we learnt to and we began to worship humanity itself. We began to worship ourselves broadly and we began to look for the best of ourselves. And, and so we began to conquer the world in which we lived and we began to do things the very best that we could do them. And that became the worship that we gave to ourselves, the worship of self, the worship of humanity. And then we discovered that in worshipping ourselves and worshipping the best of ourselves, uh, there was still a gap because for some people there was this recognition, oh, but I'm not the best and I don't fit into that kind of category of worshipping the best of self. And we almost turned worship from just humanity at its best to the worship of me. And so it's almost like we went from the worship of God, the Bible, to looking in a mirror. And I don't often do this on a Sunday, um, but I'm looking in the mirror, and you can look in the mirror. And we began to worship ourselves. I.e., I would worship me, and you would worship you. And we began to look at things like self-acceptance. If no one will accept me, I'll accept me. Self-identity, if I can be who I decide I will be, not who you decide I am. And self-worth, where my value came from what I made my value to me. And they became kind of watchwords for us. And, and last week we looked at the song, This Is Me, from The Greatest Showman. And I'm sure many of you have uh, watched it this week and sneakily sang along to it. Um, and, but it's kind of like an anthem for those who have ever felt on the outside of the best of humanity. Uh, they felt outside of it that then they would worship self. And this song kind of helps you to do it. This is me. No apology. We acknowledge, though, that self-worship wasn't enough. 
whilst the song had great intentions and in the reality of that moment, it might have really been inspiring, the reality of life was different. That self-worship, it wasn't enough to worship self because I discovered I couldn't save myself. There are some problems I can deal with myself, but there are many things that we go through in life that we cannot deal with ourselves. And so, so we talked about that. And then, you know, if you didn't quite, you know, believe that last week, you thought, well, maybe there's some truth in it. Um, the song this week, I, I think, will just help us go that bit further. If you didn't quite believe that self wasn't enough, if you thought I was slightly exaggerating maybe, or maybe people do make it that way, this week's song, I think, provides further evidence. In a moment, we're going to watch uh, the video of the song Human, after all, by Rag and Bowman. And this talks about our realisation, our strong sentiments, our dreams, all of that, the failings and daily failures. In the end, we couldn't find sufficient excuses or reasons for them, so the stock phrase for us becomes, I'm only human. I'm only human. What, what do you expect of me? The song is one of the reviews I read. This expression of mortal vulnerability, it's Rag and Bowman's first hit single. The song finds Graham, that's his real name, Rory Graham, lamenting the human condition and his ability as a flawed person to satisfy everyone's needs. So as much as we might have big vision, big dreams about what we might achieve, there is a reality, I can't satisfy people's needs. And to be honest, I can't even satisfy my own needs. I'm only human. There's a a phrase in the song you'll hear. Some people got the real problems. Some people out of luck. Some people think I can solve them. Lord heavens above, I'm only human after all. I'm only human after all. Don't put the blame on me. And he points to this idea, whether he has any faith or not, is almost irrelevant. Only God in heaven is able to provide an answer to your problems. I can't do it. I can't do it. Why would such a song resonate with so many people? I'm only human. We are all aware, aren't we, no matter how God-like our sentiments and intentions. And you know what? When we make ourselves God, when we begin to worship self, we begin to use divine language to describe self. Beyonce wrote an album called I Am. I don't think... Beyonce grew up in a church. She grew up almost in a, in a Christian environment. That phrase, I am, is not lost on her. Yeah? You read that in Exodus when Moses says, who is it? Who is it that, that I am to say? And God says to him, I am. I am. And then when Jesus speaks of it in John, and he, and he talks about the seven, uh, seven sayings, I am the bread of life. Beyonce is not lost to that. When she starts to use divine language to describe what? An album. I am. So this 
we begin to think of ourselves in a more kind of divine way, almost God-like way, using a small g. We have these intentions, these visions, and, and when we become successful, it kind of just fuels it. But then we discover, this is why I think this song resonates so much, that no matter how successful, no, how, no matter how much money I have, no matter how many friends I have, no matter how many followers I have uh, on any form of social media, no matter how many millions of people look to me, I am flawed. I'm human. We don't just make mistakes, we often intentionally perpetuate wrong and evil with our selfish and self-absorbed ways. We're all like that. You can think because somebody has 200 million followers on Instagram or whatever it is that somehow they are a little bit better. I mean, we look to them because they are the best of what humanity has to offer. But then you discover, oh man, they're they're as flawed as I am. They're just, that's just influencing millions of people. This song proved very popular and I want to just kind of indicate how popular Peter, if you just come and stand here. And uh, Matt Lanisha, if you come over here. And Pauline, if you come over here. And Hannah and Lindsay. And Alison, if you come over here. And uh, Emma and Fumi, if you come over here. Yeah? So last week I talked about that song, uh, this, this Is Me. And I, I said that... I, on YouTube, it had been viewed 125 million times. That's a lot of times, yeah? Peter is listening to This Is Me, yeah? And he's one of 125 million, let's say, individual views, but I can imagine that an individual might be watching it like hundreds of times, yeah? For every time Peter listens to This Is Me, this many people are listening to human. Human is viewed by 880 million people. Now, not individuals. So what have we got here? Three, six, nine, seven, eight people. So that's it. That's the, you don't need to. <laughs> so for every time somebody listens to This Is Me as a kind of an anthem of a generation for all of those who are lost, eight people, there are eight people listening or watching human. This applies to some people. This is me. This idea of, you know, I was on the outside, I can be on the inside, I can learn to love myself, all of that, that definitely applies to many people, but there are more people that get this. More of us get this. More of us understand, yeah, I'm only human. I can't, I can't do it. I make mistakes. So it's a very popular song, and yet... It, certainly in the UK, the only reason we really heard it, how many of you watched The X Factor, is it came up on The X Factor. It was already number one in Germany. It comes up on The X Factor in November 2016. And because of that, and because it was so popular there, he released the single. Rag and Man, he released the single, and it only gets to number two in the charts. But off the back of that, it becomes this massive song. When he was asked about the song... He says this, the inspiration for human came from a conversation 
We stumbled upon this question. Sometimes you think a problem is a problem when sometimes it isn't. And it takes you to have a little step back and realise you might be a bit dramatic. Take a look around you and see what's going on in the world. Nine times out of ten, there's somebody else with a much bigger problem. So that's kind of what he was saying, that you know, sometimes you think you've got a problem, but you haven't really got a problem. Other people have got way bigger problems than you. Whatever his explanation of the song, it resonated deeply with many people who have sought to make deeper interpretations than he himself may have intended. So we're going to watch the video of this song and then we're just going to, uh, I'm going to unpack a few things. So if we run the video. So just looking closer to home, what does being owning human mean? The truth is that if you think about this song, you think about the lyrics of the song, behind that phrase, owning human, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear. The fear of being owning human when I thought I was invincible. The fear of being owning human when I thought when I made a promise I could keep a promise. The fear of being owning human when I can't keep to everything I say. It's a fear. There's a fear in us of being judged. In the song, he says, maybe I'm foolish, maybe I'm blind. Thinking I can see through this and see what's behind. Got no way to prove it, so maybe I'm blind. But I'm an inhuman after all. That phrase, I'm an inhuman after all, is sometimes used by us in everyday life as our get out. It's a get out phrase. It's a get out for my flawed existence. It's a get out when I make mistakes. It's a get out when I get it wrong. Well, I'm only human. I'm only, what do you expect of me? What more do you expect? Sometimes it's easier when I've made a mistake rather than acknowledge just to say, look, I'm only human. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. We all make mistakes. There's a fear of being judged. There's a fear of being blamed. Again, in the song, he talks about, I'm only human, I make mistakes. I'm only human, that's all it takes to put the blame on me. Don't put the blame on me. We live in a culture that looks to blame. Whenever anything goes wrong, we are looking to blame. Who's to blame? Who's at fault? And because that's the culture, everyone's response is to fear blame. I mean, you would have even seen this week, and I want to go into all the details, but you may have seen the, um, the protest at the dinner that they were having with the Chancellor, and, you know, somebody takes some action which is inappropriate, and, and uh, you hear the response to it, though. It's like, no, no, it's not, blind, not my fault. Not my fault. In today's world, you can be caught doing something that's wrong on video, you, people could hear you, and today's world, you could still say it's not your fault and get away with it. And we know people, very powerful people, who do that. We live in a culture that looks to blame and therefore our default is to deflect blame. I'm only human. That can even come deep into our own relationships. Yeah? You mess up. You do something wrong. You say something wrong. One of the ways to respond is to apologise, to repent, to say sorry. 
Another way is to go, I'm only human, what do you expect of me? To justify what you did, to explain what you did. It doesn't need to be massive. It's, it's, it's right there in everyday existence. Many of us, the last thing we do is accept blame. We're always pushing blame somewhere else. Oh, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. If you, th- if you think about this, this, and this, it wasn't my fault. Oh, it's because of the way I was brought up. It was because of this. It was because of that. It's never me. It's never me. It's part of our culture. And the third thing, there's a fear of being responsible or taking responsibility. He says, oh, some people got the real problems. Some people out of luck. As though sometimes your problems are purely around, around luck. Yeah, if you've got problems, I'm lucky. I don't have those problems. Some people think I can solve them. Lord, heavens above. That's the last thing you want me to be doing, is solving your problems. I'm only human after all. It's a very individual, individualistic approach to life when you simply go, I'm only human, I can't help you, your problems are not my fault. Now you can do this research if you want, but so we're told, the world produces enough food and resources for everybody in the world to eat. Nobody in the world needs to starve. Yeah? There's enough food, there's enough resources for people to eat, there's enough resources for people to get medical treatment, there's enough of everything in the world to, to look after the people in the world. Why then do people starve? Why then do people go without water? Why do people die of preventable diseases? Part of it is this. Each one of us thinks that I am only responsible for me. I will put me first. And that's consistent with the fact that I worship me. I must put me first. Okay, I might stretch that to me and my family. Yeah, I might stretch that to me and my family and my friends. But it, it, it revolves around me. It centres around me. I might even stretch that because I'm prime minister or president to my nation. But that's what comes first. There's a fear of being responsible And there's a fear of taking responsibility. I'm not responsible for your problems. Do you know what? Sometimes I might just be responsible for your problems. Sometimes I might have a part to play in your problems. So we have gone from the worship or celebrating, as we looked at last week, the best of humanity, our excellence, our adventurous spirit, our ability to conquer We've moved from there because that didn't encompass everyone. There were people who were outside of that kind of excellence, the best of everything. There were people outside of it. And they, and so we moved to a place where we began to the worship and the celebrating of self, myself, self-acceptance, self-identity, self-worth. We've moved from there, one right out there. We've moved to that next place and we've moved to this new place which we don't really like but we have to accept at least in private it's there, the reality that despite my best intentions and efforts, I falter and fail. Why? Because the very thing is that I'm human and being human is flawed. He sings, I'm no prophet or messiah, should go looking somewhere higher. There's this recognition that I am flawed. 
don't know how, you, how many of you ever saw the film The Titanic. And uh, I don't know whether the Titanic would be as famous as it is as a, a, as a piece of history if these words never were never said. These words were said. There is no danger that the Titanic will sink. It was the best, at that moment in history, it was the best... Um, it was the best development of mechanical engineering there was in the world. And Philip Franklin, who was one of the vice presidents of, of the company that owned it, he said, there is no danger that the Titanic will sink. He said, the boat is unsinkable and nothing but inconvenience will be suffered by the passengers after they hit the, hit the iceberg. Yeah, those are immortal words. Those are immortal words. Because it did sink. Four days into its maiden void, it sunk. The thing that we were heralding as the best of what we could do, sunk. He goes on to say, I thought her unsinkable. And I based my opinion on the best expert advice. I thought her unsinkable. So how could we get humanity so wrong? What makes us think we are invincible? What makes us think we are capable of almost um, a day, sort of deity promises? What makes us think that? What makes us think that we can make commitments that we can't achieve? What makes us think that? I mean, we read in the Bible, just a really simple difference between us and God is, do you know what? We need to sleep. Yeah. You can't go 24 hours without your eyelids going. Yeah? You need to sleep. You need to rest. God, God doesn't need to sleep. Imagine, imagine that for a moment. How many hours we spend sleeping a year and the fact that God spends no hours sleeping. It's like a tremendous difference. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 12. He says that we're blinded to the truth. He, that is Satan, has blinded their eyes, our eyes, and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. So we have been blinded. Humanity has been blinded. Yeah? And it's very specific. He, Satan, has blinded us to the truth. So we think of ourselves greater than we ought to think of ourselves. Even though we have examples in the scripture, the Tower of Babel, when man was trying to reach up to God and it all failed. Even though we have those stories, we're still blinded into thinking we're better than we are. We're greater than we are. We're more divine than we are. It's interesting because blame was there at the beginning. So when he, he uses that phrase in the song, don't put the blame on me, he uses it 16 times. He's making a point here. Don't blame me. Now in some ways what he's doing is very human. Right at the beginning, we read in Genesis 3, after God creates Adam and Eve and he, he makes promises to them, he gives responsibility to them, God comes to them and he says, 
Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Adam says, yes, Lord, I did. Of course he doesn't. Adam says, the woman. The the woman. Yeah? The most natural response to accusation is, it was his fault. Right at the beginning, he says, the woman you gave to me. You, you, in the end, it's your fault. You gave me this woman and she, she gave me fruit. I mean, what do you want from me? And I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent, the serpent that you put here beguiled me and deceived me and I ate. Blame. Blame was there at the beginning. Blame is in Adam. Yeah, we blame because he blamed. The blame started with Adam. Rory is right. I'm only human, and I naturally want to avoid blame. It's part of the condition. Part of the condition. I mean, last week I mentioned this verse in uh, Romans chapter 5. One died for all, therefore all died. This is what it says, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. We are directly connected to Adam, who sinned at the beginning. And therefore, sin is part of us. It's a disease that, we, that, that comes down the generations of humanity. But it's not only in a sin that comes down the generations of humanity. We all go on to sin ourselves. It's not just that, oh, I'm in Adam, therefore I sin. No, just like Adam and Eve, who both admitted, and then I ate it. We eat it. We do it. Yet the Bible goes on to say, for one died for all, so all might live. So although we have this very, almost quite depressing reality that we're all uh, in Adam, blame is part of how it is for us, that this is how we view the world, It says in, uh, oh, I can't remember the passage, I think it's Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So Jesus, Christ's love compels us. Jesus died for all. Now, you've just got to imagine a world, remember, we're talking about a world, a secular world, where we have put God aside. Yeah? So the only thing you've got is humanity. And yet we're admitting humanity still has this incurable disease called sin. Yeah? The the fact that you put God aside doesn't change that reality. And there's no hope on your own. But for us, Christ died. Our conviction is that because he died, we live. 
We're no longer just human. And we need to hear that. The believer is no longer just human. Now, I know for some of you, it'll be, come on, Owen, don't go there. We're all human. But we are no longer just human. Galatians is even more explicit when it says this. Paul writing to the church in Galatia, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, we have, the reason we are no longer just human is that we've been crucified. The old life that we lived before we met Christ, the human life which disappoints, the human life which aims for glory but never quite hits it, that old life has been done away with. The old tendencies to fear, to fear judgment, to fear blame, to fear responsibility have been removed because we are no longer what we were. Do you know what? It's the only way out. The only way out was death. You couldn't get out by just trying to be better. The only way out of the condition that we are in is death. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is not just about an assurance of salvation. That should lead to a different reality of experience. It's not just, oh, thank you, Jesus, I'm saved, blah, 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 blah. It's not just that. It should change the reality of your Christian experience. Which is why you should live a different life to the person next to you who doesn't have that hope. Yeah? If your life is the same as their life, you have to ask the question, what's the hope? What difference has it made? Oh, I, I just feel a little bit more peaceful. No, it's not about feeling a little bit more peaceful. It's much more than that. For the believer, it should transfer our fears from the fear of man which is the fear of judgment, blame and responsibility, all of that is wrapped up in the fear of man, to the fear of God. And when you have the fear of God, it's different. Yeah, When you're fearing he who you can't see, rather than he who you can see, it's different. Isaiah 11, um, and, and a few verses there, talks about this, this shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. It's talking about the remnant of Israel. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit and of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes, what he sees with his eyes, or decide by what he hears with his ears. There is more to it than that. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.